This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Hebrews eleven sixteen, it says, But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city, a city. God made for them a city, not on earth, in heaven, where they finally would be satisfied. It's called the city of God, the city of God, which the apostle John saw in the book of Revelation, and he described that city to us in the second to last chapter of the Bible, of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21, with words like this, Revelation 21.2, Revelation 21.2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But Jacob had not reached that holy city in heaven, and at this point, he just looked terrible as a pilgrim in a sinful world. And Jacob was standing there before Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh that he's a pilgrim. And when he does that, when Jacob does that, we just say, I'm gonna get right behind Jacob. He's my model. He's my example. That's who I wanna be like. That's what I wanna live my life like. So unsatisfied as he was, as we are, and so troubled by the sinful world that we live in, that we join Jacob, not in compromise, but in a pilgrimage of looking for that city that God built. And though we don't live in a tent, in our hearts we're living in a tent because that tent expresses dissatisfaction with this world, refusal to settle down, refusal to call this world our home. Just like the hymn says, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. So when we see Jacob, telling Pharaoh that he's a pilgrim, we respond with, and so am I, and so am I. I'm a pilgrim, just like Jacob, just like our calling. Our calling is in 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11 says, dearly beloved, 
I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We say about ourselves, we're just like Jacob. I'm a stranger, I'm a pilgrim on earth. Now, we can imagine, we can imagine how Pharaoh must have thought, poor guy, what a loser. What, what a life of misery, Pharaoh was thinking. And just as Pharaoh was thinking that, Jacob does something absolutely astounding in this next verse of Genesis 47.10, Genesis 47.10, where it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. <laughs> Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What? <laughs> Did we read that right? <laughs> Jacob blessed Pharaoh? How could Jacob bless Pharaoh? Because it explains to us in Hebrews 7.7, 7, Hebrews 7.7 7 says, without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. So this verse is telling us that the one who blesses is better or greater than the one who's blessed. So here we have Jacob. He's blessing Pharaoh, which means that Pharaoh is less than Jacob. Amen. Jacob is greater than Pharaoh. Amen. And so when Jacob blesses Pharaoh, what statement is Jacob making to Pharaoh? By blessing Pharaoh, Jacob was telling Pharaoh, <laughs> that Pharaoh should, should not feel sorry for Jacob because as a poor pilgrim on his way to the holy city in heaven because Jacob was a priest of God and he was greater than Pharaoh. And so Jacob blesses Pharaoh. What a scene that is for us of Jacob looking like he's, like he's beaten up, standing there over Pharaoh when we can imagine the robes and the regalia of Pharaoh and he takes the higher position and blesses Pharaoh because Jacob realizes Pharaoh might be Pharaoh of Egypt, but Jacob is a priest of God. As it says in also in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9 again, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood, a royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. You should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Jacob realizes that, yes, I'm in bad physical condition, I know that. And he also, but he also saw Pharaoh needs God. Pharaoh needs God. And so Jacob forgets about himself, and he blesses Pharaoh. Now here again, Jacob becomes our model. He's our model in this, because we should, he remind, we should be like him. When I, when I read this about Jacob, and how bad his condition he was, I can't help but remember this man, this man. When I think about him, I think, was he an angel or a man? I don't know. He looked like a man. A man I met in the lobby of the radiation department at UCSD Morris Cancer Center. We were, we were all there for one reason, radiation. I was there along with the other patients waiting to receive my radiation for cancer as they were waiting to receive their radiation for cancer. And we were all in different different shapes of not so good. And there was this man. I remember him. I can see him in my mind now. His name was Mr. Nash, Mr. Nash. And what I remember so clearly was the cancer on his face, on the right side of his face, that the, that the cancer along with the radiation had just destroyed the whole right half of his face. It was gone. 
and he wore this thick white bandage over the half of his face. And they were trying desperately to arrest that cancer that was so aggressive and was so much ready to move into his, his, the soft tissue of his neck and salivary glands and so forth. And so I talked with him, and he told, he told us, we talked with him, he told us how he had lost his wife to cancer, and he was alone there in the waiting room, waiting to get another dose of radiation, of destroying radiation on his face. He had driven himself to the radiation unit. He would drive himself back home. So there was a man who should have been devastated and consumed in his own troubles and his own woes and worried about what's gonna happen to me. I'm all alone now in my future. And what was he doing? Kind of like Jacob. And what was he doing with what's probably his last days on earth? You know what he was doing? He was walking around to each patient, each patient in that room, waiting room there, waiting to receive radiation. And there's nothing like how cancer patients can feel. And if you've been a cancer patient with a terminal cancer, you know what I mean. But they're all there waiting for their radiation. Without saying a word, Mr. Nash just went. And he j went from one person to the other and gently placed a gospel track next to each patient. That was unbelievable. Just like Jacob, this man knew that as terrible a condition as he was in, he knew he was a priest of God and that there were people there who needed God. And his cancer, their cancer might not have been as advanced as his cancer, but he knew he had God, they needed God, and he was not gonna sit still. And he was focused on bringing them God. Face or no face, cancer or no cancer. Mr. Nash was giving his life to bringing the gospel to lost people. That's Jacob. That's Jacob, beat up or not beat up, ready to die or not ready to die. By blessing Pharaoh, Jacob was bringing God to Pharaoh. Jacob, you know, Jacob could have said, Jacob could have said, yes, Pharaoh, you know, you're, um, you're right. I'm not as fortunate as you are, and if you don't mind, I really do need a rest right now, and I'll just retire to my wheelchair and my bed because I'm weak and I need my rest. But just like Mr. Nash, who clearly was the worst off patient in that whole room in that radiation lobby there that day, he could have said to all the patients, look, I don't know what cancer problems you have, but, but just look at me. Cancer has taken off half of my face. It's taken, a, taken away my wife. It's now growing to take over my body. And so whatever problems you have, mine are worse. So if you don't mind, I'll just sit here in this corner of the radiation lobby and try to comfort myself as best I can with my remaining days on earth. That was not Mr. Nash. It wasn't him. What he chose to do with his remaining days to be, to be consumed with the plight of the other person with the plight of the lost all around him dying without God. And he determined to bring the gospel to the lost. Mr. Nash forgot about himself and only thought of how horrible it was for the lost around him to die in their sins without God's salvation gift and to be cast into a hell of eternal suffering and anguish. So Mr. Nash decided to use his remaining strength to bring the gospel to them, to the lost. And so that's what Jacob was doing with his last days on earth as well. He knew how terrible was his condition. Jacob knew that. He knew that his days were not long on earth. He knew that, just like Mr. Nash. And Jacob looked at Pharaoh and said in himself, he said, this man needs God. 
This man needs God, and I'm going to rise up out of my condition to my high calling of being a royal priest, and I'm gonna, going to bless Pharaoh. And that's what he did. That's Jacob. He's our example of what we should do. He's our example of what we should do when we're in the hospital or in a bed of sickness. We should see our hospital stays as being sent there by God as a royal priest into the hospital to reach lost people with the gospel. And the people in the hospital should be blessed by us as Jacob was brought before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I remember when I was in the hospital, weak, in pain with the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer, I'm incised tumor on the spine, invited into the spinal area there, wrapped around itself around the spinal cords, couldn't walk, it was terrible. Uh, Grapefruit-sized tumor on the spleen and, and in the bones. And anyway, everybody knew that because, you know, I'd, I'd had the biopsies and all that. And a healthy male nurse who was lost came to my room, very athletic guy, and I brought him the gospel. And I said to him, I have a question for you. As I'm flat out on my back, can't walk, can't, can't get up because of the pain. Here I am, my body is devastated with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Here you are, healthy as an athlete, in great physical shape. Here I am, a child of God on my way to heaven, and you can't say that. So the question I have for you, which one of us really is in worse shape? Now, Jacob was in worse physical shape than Pharaoh, but in better spiritual state than Pharaoh. So Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Jacob standing before Pharaoh in this horrible physical condition, yet a priest of God reminds us of Paul. Paul, a prisoner in a Roman prison before the Roman ruler Agrippa, and King Agrippa says to Paul in Acts 26, 28, Acts 26, 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all those that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. So from this scene of Jacob here blessing Pharaoh, we turn to Jacob and we say, Jacob, thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for showing me the example that I need to be. Thank you for showing me what it looks like for a man to forget about himself and give himself to be concerned about others. So, to the surprise of all, Jacob continues to live in Egypt for another 17 years until he's 147 years old. But at this time, now, Jacob has a great concern. We're fast-forwarding a little bit from here in his life. He has a great concern that's over him. He calls for Joseph. He needs Joseph. Joseph comes. And we read what happened in Genesis 47, 29. Genesis 47, 29. The time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt bury me out of Egypt and carry me. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Finally, the time has come. It says, verse 29, the time drew nigh that Israel must die. Jacob knew knew it, he was gonna die, so he calls for his son Joseph. Joseph finds his father very anxious 
very anxious, very upset. He's got a need. He wants Joseph to do this certain thing for him. Jacob asked Joseph to solemnly swear, to promise to him that what he's going to do, and Joseph, and he has Joseph put his hand under Jacob's thigh, which was the same act that Abraham asked his servant Eliezer to do when it was so important for him that Isaac not take a wife from the Canaanites. No Canaanite woman for Isaac. So he did the same thing, made Eliezer put his hand under his thigh. He puts his, Joseph puts his hand under Jacob's thigh, and then his father Jacob speaks to him and says, bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. It's not that Jacob was not appreciative for the beautiful, comfortable living conditions that he had there. They were in the best part of Egypt, in the northern part up there in the land of Goshen. Jacob, he knows, he understands that this place he's living in is a land of immorality, it's a land of idolatry, and he does not view Egypt as his home. And he wants with his grave to make that final statement to everybody that Egypt is not his home. So Jacob wants Joseph to swear, and he does. And he says, I will lie with my fathers. Thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place, verse 30, 47, 30. And he said, I'll do as you said. He swears unto him. He wants his dead body with Abraham, with Isaac, as the last statement that Jacob did not yield to the pleasures of Egypt, but he gives up. He gives it all up so he can continue on his pilgrimage. There is a temporary, there is a permanent. There is a temporary pleasures of sin for a season, which is what Egypt was characterized to Moses. And Moses chose not to live with the temporary pleasures of sin for a season. Instead, he chose to to suffer affliction with the people of God so he could have an eternal pleasure, pleasures at the right hand of God. And or there is a temporary, temporary life of a pilgrim, a life of, of misery, you might say, for the eternal pleasures of God. But there's either temporary pleasures of sin or temporary, temporary pilgrimage. Now, that's what Jacob was so anxious over. And so Joseph promises he's going to bury him with his fellow pilgrims. And Jacob is content and he bows himself. So that's now past. And Joseph goes back to his business of running the country, running the country of Egypt. And now Joseph is told again, in Genesis 48.1, he says, it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick. And Joseph is told his father is sick. He knows what that means. He comes, he's expecting to see his father weak. His father weak in Genesis 48.1. His father weak, but too weak to talk. He's expecting that, too weak to talk. And Joseph is gonna be speaking, try to comfort his father, Jacob. But that's not the case at all. Because what we're told in verse two, one told Jacob and said, behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon his bed. So here's Jacob. He manages to muster his, his last strength as he strengthens himself and he sits up on the bed. And as Joseph sees his father strengthen himself on the bed, Joseph is wondering, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? Is he going to say something like, say something like, uh, can you get a better doctor for me? Or you know, isn't there a better medicine for me? Have you called hospice? Uh, can you increase the dose of morphine? You know, but just like Mr. Nash, again, Jacob's not thinking of himself at all. But what Jacob does is to pray a blessing on Joseph's two sons, 
Manasseh and Ephraim. And again, we see this weak Jacob pulling himself up out of his own worries to rise up to his high calling as a priest of God. And, and just as he did with Pharaoh, Jacob now blesses the sons. I mean, how often have I heard from a person who went to go visit a believer in the hospital and come back and say, I went to be a blessing to him, and he was a blessing to me. And that's what we see here with Jacob. Sick, about to die, being a blessing to others, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross, dropped into the hole, into the socket for the cross, with such a jolt that every bone, every joint in his body came out of joint. In such pain, and what does he do in such pain? Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 24, he says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While dying, he's praying, he's praying the blessing of forgiveness on his torturers, on his torturers as the priest. And again, this is the great escape. This is the great escape from our own problems, to be a blessing to others. That's God's way for us to escape out of our own troubles by ministering to the needs of others. But before Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, when Joseph has just entered the room and he sees his father there, his dying father, he speaks. And Jacob shows when he speaks what his heart is immersed in, what the thought is that has just encompassed him and, and surrounded him. And there's one thought that's just filled Jacob's heart in his final moments here on earth. He's coming to a close now. He can see death is becoming is coming closer and closer, and he speaks in verse 3, Genesis 48.3. Genesis 48.3. He speaks in verse 3, and Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. What is this man Jacob thinking about as he's about to die? One word, God. He's sitting there thinking about God. What is he thinking about God? He's thinking about how God Almighty appeared to him. He's thinking about how God Almighty, the king of the universe, took time to appear to him in Bethel. And we can see Jacob, he's just consumed with the wonder of this truth. He says, God Almighty appeared to me. Why should God Almighty have cared about me, Jacob? He's thinking about the circumstances back there that we've already have studied when God Almighty appeared to him. It was in Bethel. It was the time when Jacob was at his lowest point in his life. He was running away from home. He was running away from a brother who had vowed to kill him. He didn't even have time to plan his run, his fugitive run. He didn't have a camel. He didn't have a donkey. He didn't have anything to transport his food or his possessions. He had no idea how he was going to make it. He only had the clothes he was wearing and what he could quickly muster together and carry as he ran out of the house. He was as vulnerable as could be in the desert, all alone, traveling for about a month to try to make it to find Laban. This was his first night out, Jacob's first night out. He had run as fast and as far as he could from home. Now, both exhaustion and darkness have forced him to stop and sleep. And really to portray the pathetic situation he was in, his pillow was a bunch of stones. That was his pillow. So Jacob now is at the lowest point of his life, and that's when God decided to appear to him in a dream. And he sees God at the top of the ladder that reached to heaven. There the angels are. They're going up and down. And that's what Jacob is thinking about. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.